So thrilled to come back to our study in God's Word, back to Romans chapter 8. We're in Romans 8, looking at verses 26 and 27 this morning. I was thinking this morning of this, that if, um, if we could mess up our salvation, we would. I mean, at least I know I would. I can mess up my own Christian walk if it was dependent upon me and my own efforts and abilities. I certainly would fail. Desires rule in the heart and temptations come and confusion fills the mind and certain lies are around us. And certainly there are times and seasons in our life where sinful desires and passions cloud our mind and confuse our judgments and lead us astray. Bitterness fills our hearts at times and clouds our perspective. And before we know it, there are seasons where we have drifted from those early days when there was sweetness and nearness to God, and we can look back and say, it was my own heart that was drifting. It's my own areas of unbelief. And most certainly we would see that if it was up to us, we would drift far away from God, pulling away from Him and living in despair. A Christian, if he has resisted truth and resisted the Spirit and has turned to his own devices, trusting in his own desires, and has given in to fleshly impulses, would be led astray. And with that comes sorrow, comes suffering, comes grief, Experiences of depression and anxiety fill the heart and mind, and all of a sudden, before we know it, God feels far away. And before we know it, we were praying, and it seems like our prayers don't even get past the ceiling. They just are, seem to fall on empty ears. We know that God does not dwell in darkness, He is unapproachable light. And doesn't walk in unrighteousness. This was the message that John the Apostle heard from the Lord Jesus Christ. That, he, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So we find in our own hearts at times drifting into evil, a moving away from God, a separation. And they find a kind of despair that comes with that. And the Christian in those moments feels a lack of assurance. He feels that he is far from God and hopeless. And maybe at that moment in time, in your own Christian walk, whatever stage it is that that happens to you, maybe at that point you grow a bit despairing because you think, by now I should be better. By now I should have some more spiritual progress. By now I should know the right things to do, to go back to those early days, to those early convictions to those early commitments just seem too hard for me, too impossible. And so we suffer in a kind of struggle with sin in our own hearts. And we're reminded in that suffering at that time that indeed, if it was all up to us, we would drift away. If God wasn't rich in his mercies, if he wasn't active in his love towards us, if he wasn't ministering to us, we would find in our own hearts a drifting away from the Lord. 
seeking to form a kind of uh, religion that is comfortable to us, seeking a kind of knowledge that entertains us, seeking a kind of life that would be most what we wanted. That's what is natural to us. We are in desperate need of God's grace and mercy at all times. Because difficulties come upon us, and our own spiritual weakness oftentimes is revealed. But there are other difficulties, as we have been learning in this context. There are the sufferings in this world that come upon us from being mistreated by others. There's the difficulties that come because of uh, being accused of various things by those who uh, are opposed to the truth. Those who hate the way of God, those who are uh, hating the path of righteousness and do not want to hear the truth, then attack anybody who speaks truth or who seeks to walk in truth. Because in that, they are, are opposed to the way of God and they do not want to submit themselves at all to God. And in that becomes a persecution upon the Christian and in that we are tempted. Did I do something wrong? Do I need to change my message? Do I need to do something to make that person happy with me again? A kind of fear of man comes on our hearts to think, do I, am I speaking up too much? Maybe I need to tone it down. Maybe I need to do something to rescue this relationship. And so we're in turmoil in those times. Am I holding to the truth of God and his word or am I trying to rescue this relationship? God, I just don't know what to do in this moment. And our hearts are despairing. Because we don't have the kind of wisdom in the moment we ought to have and because we are fearful, not knowing which uh, path we are to be walking in and our loyalties are divided in those moments. There is joy in walking in the Lord's ways and there's joys in walking in newness of life as we've been learning here in Romans chapter 8. A yielded heart to the Spirit of God leads to newness of life. It sets us free from the slavery of sin. We get to walk now in such a way that by the Spirit we're overcoming the flesh. The Spirit has, has lives among us and dwells among us and dwells in His people and strengthens us through our Christian walk so that we come to the realization, as Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're living in this rich grace that the gospel is brought to us through Jesus Christ and through His Spirit, but it doesn't take away the day-to-day battles and struggles that we face in resisting evil and resisting the temptations of this world and facing persecutions and suffering. We live by the Spirit. We walk in this newness of life, as Paul has been saying, but it, it brings with it a real spiritual battle. I love what Paul said. I mean, just look back in verse 4 as he's saying there, not only do we have no condemnation, verse 1, but verse 4, we don't walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. And in verse 5, we are setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, not the minds, uh, our minds on the things of the flesh. In verse 9, we have God dwelling within us. Notice what he says, However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, God takes up His residency within us, dwelling among us. And we are comforted by these truths. And to verse 11, we see that we have a hope of a resurrection of newness of life by the Spirit. We're anticipated this resurrection to come. It's God's Spirit giving us that hope. 
Through 12 and 13, it is the Spirit energizing us in our sanctification as He is moving us and transforming us into the very image of Christ. By the Spirit, we're overcoming the deeds of the flesh. We have, as the Spirit of God is dwelling within us, verse 15, the Spirit which is crying out to God, Abba, Father, we have a Spirit of of adoption dwelling within us. We are made heirs of God. Heirs of eternal life, heirs of promise, all because of the marvelous work of God dwelling within us because by faith we have confessed Christ. We've confessed our sins, our need for God. So that while the Christian lives in awareness of the abundant riches and mercies that God has lavished upon us through the gospel of grace, the Christian also lives under these intense spiritual struggles disappointment at times, and sorrows, and grief. And the amazing truth in all of this is that God is marvelously growing us in that, and He has not only granted us faith, but He is maturing our faith and protecting it and preserving it until the end. So that we would say, yes, if it was up to us, we would probably run from these challenges, We would run from the difficulties of sanctification. We would run from the persecutions. We would hide from all the spiritual challenges because they are just so hard. But on the other hand, God pouring out his lavish mercies and kindness to us through his spirit, through his word, preserves us and protects us and strengthens us. So that we come to this point and we recognize the marvelous riches of this It is God who has made us alive and it is God who is preserving us and protecting us through all of our difficulties so that it is God who is leading us into his glorious work. So when you feel weak, Christian, fear not because God is at work and the riches of his marvelous work, he is not going to stop. He's going to complete what he has started So that when you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling like there is no hope, you can recognize what God is accomplishing. Because Romans chapter 8 is a description of what the Spirit of God is accomplishing in us and the marvelous benefits to us. It is God who started this great work and is God who is going to complete this great work in us So that our hope of our faith does not rest in our strength, our wisdom, our power. It rests in the marvelous riches of God. And in fact, as we will see, is that the entire Godhead is on display in working in our salvation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all at work preserving us, protecting us, and strengthening us. It is God who has called us to saving faith, and it is God who is manifesting the riches of His glory. Let's turn over a couple of chapters to Romans chapter 10. Notice this. Romans chapter 10. We know the verses in, in 10, 9, and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We know these glorious truths that one professes faith, that they are saved. But continue on, notice verses 14 through 17. Then Paul asks, how then will they call on him? 
on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? So that Paul is kind of showing the order. There must be a preacher. There must be one sent. There must be a message delivered. And by hearing of that message, one would believe. Then it says, just as it is written, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our reports? So now the key verse, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God sends forth his message. Not only does he send forth his message, but he sends out his ministers, his preachers, his teachers. He sends us out to go preach his word. And it's through the proclamation of his word. People hear the truth. And by hearing the truth, they have faith. It starts with God. He gave the message. He sent out the proclaimers, sent out, Matthew 28, sent us all out into all the world to make disciples. Sends us with his message to go preach the word of God, and it's through the hearing of the word of God people hear, and they believe, and they are saved. Started with the work of God, he is announcing it. And it is by the power of the word of God that people are transformed. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. Of Christ, as Romans ten seventeen says, Peter added the same thing. It says we're born again by the word of God. But turn over to to Ephesians chapter two. I just want you to see this marvelous truth of God's work, particularly. When you think about what God has done for us. Not only did He send the give the word, and He sent forth the messengers. But God also, here in Ephesians 2, Paul is laying out in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, he talked about our sinful condition we were in and that we were made alive in God. That's verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. Goes on to talk, talks about the riches of that, means we're exalted in heaven with Christ, we're seated in the heavenly places, and all the angels of the hosts are seeing the marvelous grace of God on display within us. But verse 8 and 9 is really significant. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves that is a gift of God. Now the whole exegetical point is on the interpretation of that phrase and that not of yourself what does that refer to does the that refer what is the that referring to many would say well it refers to grace as grace is unmerited favor and i say certainly it does refer to grace but it actually refers to a whole lot more than that the reason why is this, that grace is in a feminine form there, but the end that is in a neuter form, which means that the, that there is referring to everything that has been brought up to this point. From verse 5, you being made alive in Christ, to the being seated in the heavenly places. All of this was given to us by God. Even the faith is granted So he says, by grace, through faith, all of that is the reference to the and that. Regenerated, 
exalted positionally in Christ, grace lavished upon you, faith given to you, all of that is granted by God to us. Granted it, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, that no one would, uh, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God in his marvelous grace rescued us and made us alive and demonstrated his rich mercy. Who did he do this for? Back to chapter 1. He tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. All three and four. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Who, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. It is God the Father who had selected us and chose us and then gave us to the Son. God the Father who has made us alive and God the Father who has seated us in Christ and God the Father who has poured out His grace upon us and God the Father who has sent messengers to preach the Word of God to us that we would hear the truth and believe it is God the Father who has done all these things. Preserves us and protects us. More than that, it is also Christ himself who is at work protecting us, preserving us. Uh, Turn over to John chapter 6. Let me show this to you. John chapter 6. John's gospel at this moment in time. This is an event where the people had come to Christ and had uh, pursued him because the previous day he had fed the 5,000 and they were pursuing him and he starts confronting them. You came to me not because you believe, but you came to me because you are looking for another meal, basically. And he says this to them in, in John chapter 6 and verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So that it is the Father has given me some. These ones that he has given me are going to come to me. The ones who come to me, I am going to receive. Verse 38, for I did not come down from heaven, or I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that out of all those that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Christ himself says, I am going to receive, I am going to preserve them, I am holding on to them, I lose none of them that the Father has given to me. I preserve them and protect them until the last day. Father choosing, the Father electing, the Father giving out His grace and mercy, the Father then sending messengers to save, then gives to the Son, and the Son is holding, preserving, protecting. Notice one more if you turn over to John chapter 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer there in John 17 You'd say to yourself, well, okay, there were 12 apostles selected, but one of them went astray. Judas slipped out. So maybe there is a possibility that one of us could do something to get out of the will of God. 
in John chapter 17 and verse 12, it says this, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. Notice there, here's Jesus' prayer saying, here's what I was doing. I was keeping them in your name, the name which you have given to me, and then this, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished. But, notice, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. The one who perished was the one that the scriptures had already prepared and already said this is what was going to happen. That there would be a betrayer, there would be one who would turn. The son was, notice the language, the ones you've given to me, I kept them, I guarded them, not one of them perished. All of those that the son was given, he was protecting and preserving. This is marvelous truth for us. God the Father is protecting. God the Father is lavishing us with his kindness and mercy. God the Father has started a good work within us. God the Father has granted faith. He's given us the Son. The Son is preserving us and protecting us. All of this sets up then Romans chapter 8 for us. We can turn back to Romans chapter 8. Because what we see in Romans chapter 8 is this marvelous truth. The Holy Spirit is even preserving and protecting us. Isn't it enough that the Father has lavished us with a kind of mercy and grace that would produce the saving work within us? It isn't enough that the Father had given us the truth. It isn't enough that He had sent the Son and the Son is protecting us and guarding us. But on top of that here is the Spirit of God working for us. By the way, you might think, well, John's Gospel referring to the apostles and Him guarding the apostles. Indeed, that was true. And I'm only pointing out that that is an example of the kind of work the Lord does. Just as He preserved His apostles... I believe he is also preserving us. Just to prove that to you, turn over to 1 John. uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And notice, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Notice, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is just for the disciples, this is for all of us, the little children of God, all believers. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is, after all, the perfect sacrifice for our sins, verse 2, and not for ours only, the whole world. He is the perfect, sufficient sacrifice. He is the best advocate, the only advocate we need to stand before the Father for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's there advocating as stated as a divine defense attorney for his people, preserving them, protecting them. So that we come now to Romans 8, and Romans 8, we see the riches of the Spirit's work on our behalf. It doesn't stop. Certainly it is wonderful, the Father's at work for us and the Son's at work for us, but now Paul adds this marvelous truth that the Spirit himself is at work for us. And I love this because there have been times in our ministry life where we have been 
kind of accused of this. If someone says, well, don't go to Saving Grace Bible Church because they believe once saved, always saved. They believe in a kind of secured salvation that if you're saved, you're always saved. And I would say, guilty as charged. I mean, it is in our name, Saving Grace Bible Church. The disgrace of God saves. The grace of God rescues. Certainly is within our name, and I will say guilty as charged. The question isn't, is a believer saved and preserved for all eternity? The answer from the scriptures is emphatically yes. Otherwise, God is not God. Otherwise, he's a liar because he said differently in his scriptures. So the question is not, is the believer who has faith eternally rescued and saved? Because the answer is absolutely, because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit cannot be thwarted. The question is, do we believe? Are we a child of God? That's the question. And then that's what the Scriptures regularly put on us. The Scriptures regularly put the burden on us to say, where are you at? Just to show you this, before we get to Romans 8. I keep promising Romans 8, but we're not there yet. Just two more things. Let me show you. Colossians chapter 1. Notice what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. And then we're going to go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse uh, 17. Well, actually, verse uh, 20 or uh, 21 and following. This is although... You were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, uh, yeah, and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and before, beyond reproach. So speaking of the work of Christ, speaking of our being separated from God, we're before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now notice verse 23. If... Indeed, you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Where is the burden put? It was put on the hearers, on the believers. What? Walking in faith, continually the evaluation was on them. Yes, you have all of this work if indeed you continue in the faith. Turn over to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Just to show you this, Peter says a similar thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 10, I believe. Yep. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 10, Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Peter puts the burden back on us to make sure that we are making certain his calling and choosing of us. This is the work. We have hope that all who are in Christ Jesus are preserved and protected until the end. And we go through the evaluations. We go through the work of evaluating our own hearts to do this very thing, as Peter says, making certain his calling of us. Now we can go back to Romans chapter 8. And I promise we'll stay here this time. 
Because what we see in the midst of all this is that while we are in this process of making certain our calling and while we are are in the process of demonstrating the riches of our faith and while God is showing His marvelous grace within us and we're walking in newness of life, we aren't doing this work alone. We have the Spirit of God with us. That's exactly what Paul brings out. Notice verse 26 and 27 of Romans 8. In the same way... The Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we are in these sorrows and in these sufferings, when we're in this difficulty, we are comforted by this marvelous truth that the Spirit of God is interceding for us also. The Spirit of God is helping us out. I like this phrase there. I like the way it, that verse 26 of the ESV translated because it translates the opening phrase like this, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I think that's the best emphasis of the conjunction there, that this is also likewise in the same way. Likewise, the Spirit is helping us. And remember, in the context, this is in the context of our sufferings. It's in the context of the groanings under the strains of sin. As creation groans under sin, and as we groan waiting for our adoption and redemption, waiting for the fulfillment of our hope, even when we're in this state of groaning over the difficulties, the Spirit of God is also helping us in our weakness. Now the question is, well, what is our weakness? I have a lot of weaknesses. The weakness in this context, notice, in verse 26, is explained next. For we do not know how to pray as we should. That's the weakness. Weakness is our prayers. It's our weakest state. We don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. We don't know how to engage God in the proper way as we come before Him. That's our weakness in this case. We don't know when we are weak what to pray for, when we are under the burdens, when we are in those times of distress, when we have faced the challenges that come in our sufferings, when we face the challenges that causes us to groan, we don't know how to pray in those moments. Weakness exposes our inabilities to understand exactly what is going on. We don't know how to pray properly seeking the help of God properly in those times. So many examples that we could go to in that. I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians when he was praying for deliverance from that thorn in the flesh. And he says there, I prayed three times, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 and 9. He says, I, I prayed three times in trusting, in pleading with God, deliver me from this. To which God supplied, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. He was asking for the wrong things. He wasn't asking, he was asking for something that was for his own will, but not for God's will. This is again, the, we, the illustrates, we don't always know how to pray properly in those difficult times. We don't know how to, what to plead for. 
How many times when it comes into a prayer, we are finding ways to short the, shorten the process? Right? It's like, I started a trial. Okay, Lord, I'll give you a couple days on this trial. I think that's about all the time I need for it. I, I can learn the lessons. And in about two days, you know, I'm a, I'm a fast learner. Uh, and in two days, I can understand this. So by the weekend, we should get back to where we were at. Only for something to go on for weeks and months, maybe years. We're weak in our prayers because we don't know the will of God as we ought. We don't know what he is seeking to accomplish in those moments. We don't even know in the moments what we necessarily need in that moment in time. What do I need to get through this difficulty? What do I need to endure through this suffering? What does my faith need in this moment? I don't know what I need. Word infirmities or weaknesses here. That word weakness is so broad. Because it could speak of just simple physical affirmities and weakness so, so that I am physically weak, that is a, a disease, an illness, or some kind of physical weakness. But it also could be a spiritual weakness. It could be a spiritual problem, a spiritual limitation, a, a spiritual corruption. You have a simple practice, a corruption or weakness in character. It's a very broad term here when he says the Spirit helps our weaknesses. He helps all of that. And when we are in our weaknesses, again, ministers to us, because we are weak in our communication, we are weak in our faith, we are weak in our own understanding, we're even weak in our endurance. So in the midst of that, while we're weak in all those states, it says here again, the Spirit, we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes. And this is a marvelous truth for us, because it is the Spirit who knows the mind of God. It is the Spirit who knows the will of God. He knows the character of God. It is the Spirit who knows everything that God wants, everything that God's seeking for, everything that God is, and it is the Spirit of God who is interceding on our behalf. I mean, can you think of a better advocate to go pray on your behalf than the Spirit of God? I mean, when I was a kid, I used to send my younger siblings into the parents to ask the parents to give us something. You know, if we wanted to go out to eat, we just send, you know, the youngest lamb in. You know, they won't sacrifice that one. <laughs> they would sacrifice me, but they wouldn't take them. And, and so you would send that one in, and, you know, most of the time they failed. You know, they'd come back, and they couldn't even, you know, the parents looked over the uh, cuteness of the little one and uh, still said no. But on behalf of us, we have the Spirit of God who is interceding on our behalf, the one who knows the mind of God, the one who knows the eternal purposes of God, the one who knows the riches of God's glory and knows Him perfectly and speaks perfectly to the Father. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, as he was talking about the Word of God delivered to us, in it, he says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of God. Particularly, we, have the, we know the things of God because the Spirit of God gives it to us. 
The Spirit who then delivers the Word of God to us, that very Spirit who knows the mind of God is the Spirit who is interceding on our behalf. It's perfect advocate for us, interceding for us in our greatest weakness. Again, many times in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our, our, our difficult moments, when it's overwhelming, when we're thinking the walk of righteousness is too hard here, it's too hard to walk uprightly, it's too much for me, I don't, and in that moment as we're despairing, it is from this passage, we're comforted with this truth. Yes, I'm despairing, but I know who's on my side, the Spirit of God who's asking and interceding for me for, with groanings too deep for words. He's asking for what I need, and I can't even put the thought together. There's a comfort there. We don't know how to pray for the right thing. Almost get the idea here is this, is when he says we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you go to a new restaurant and maybe that restaurant has, um, is in a foreign language. So you're like, yeah, give me that. And it's like duck or something. And like someone jumps in and says, no, you don't, you don't want that. You want this over here. It's that idea. You ask for something and the Spirit is jumping in and interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Interceding for us and directing in the right way. He said this, but here's what he means. And this is what he actually needs. And just bring this out for him. Because this is the right thing in this moment for this child of yours to be protected. To grow in the way that they ought to grow. I love that phrase there with groanings too deep for words. Literally, it is with inexpressible groanings. It is to say this... He is making private requests, and you don't need to know about it. We don't need to know about it. We're going to see the fruits of it. The Spirit is working within us. But these are inexpressible groanings. It's funny how some today have used this as an explanation to justify spiritual gifts and the speaking of tongues. But I would just remind them of a couple of details here. First of all, it's not us communicating in spiritual tongues and spiritual languages. It's the Spirit himself before God. And secondly, these are inexpressible words. They're not vocalized. Not to us that we would hear. These are between God, the Spirit, and God, the Father. And these are griefs. These are groanings. These are burdens. It's not a spiritual language, an angelic language, a heavenly language of some kind. It certainly isn't within the context here. This is the Spirit himself going before the Father, interceding, making pleas and requests for our weaknesses because we don't know how to pray in those moments. And if that's not enough, and, and that certainly verse 26 is marvelous to us, it's verse 27 that even gives us greater comfort Verse 27, and he, this is the Father, the Father who searches the hearts. I mean, just speak of the Father's role. He is looking at our hearts. He is looking at our vulnerabilities. He's seeing our weaknesses and our our despair in the moment. And he is seeing our unbelief. And he is seeing our difficulties. And the Father who searches our hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is. 
So it is the Father who knows perfectly what the Spirit wants, just as the Spirit knows perfectly what the Father wants. This is the best advocate for us. Our weakness, we don't know how to pray. Again, I love this truth for us because it is so helpful to me as a Christian because I would be in complete despair. You might come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'd love to pray for you. But what do I pray in that moment? Many times I've been in this wrestle, wrestling match. What do I pray for? Am I praying for deliverance? Lord, get them out of this difficulty. Am I praying for their faith? Lord, make them strong in the midst of this trial. Am I praying for your endurance? Lord, take them through this trial, and if it needs to be 10 years, let it be 10 years. You'd say to me, Pastor, stop praying for me at that point. <laughs> I don't want the endurance prayer. Do I pray for wisdom? Lord, grant them understanding that they would apply the truth in a right way in that difficult situation. Do I pray for understanding? Lord, give us insight from your scripture. Do I pray for protection? Lord, keep them from the evil one. Do I pray for associates surrounding them, that you bring wise counselors alongside of them? Well, yes, we'd have to pray for all of those things. But there might be one that's even more specific and, again, This is exactly what the Spirit of God would know for us. To know how to intercede on our behalf, to know with groanings too deep for words to pray and intercede for us. And even the Father knows specifically the mind of the Spirit. Knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Literally in the text is according to God, but I do believe that as described by our translation here, it's according to God's will. We recognize this. The Spirit is always praying on our behalf according to the perfect will of God. That's a powerful prayer. And I think about, again, when one salvation, when one would say to me, well, you believe that one saved, always saved. Absolutely, because I don't believe the Spirit can get it wrong. And I don't think the son is going to take a day off. And I don't think the father was wrong when he decided to pour out his love. I mean, certainly thankful that he poured out his love and elected us. I am comforted in the grace of God to preserve and protect his people. Which people? Well, it's been described in this chapter. Heirs of God. It's been described back from verse 15. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs also. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. Yes, it is for God's children that God is working, preserving and protecting his people. This is the glorious truth from this passage. Glorious comfort to us. And it comes down to, for us in the midst of this, is that are you an heir of God? Are you a child of God? And the comforting truth is this. We can see that even now that we are belonged to God by the evidence of the Spirit of God. We're walking in newness of life. And by the Spirit, we are led by the Spirit. We're dwelling on the things of the Spirit. Our mind is filled with the things of the Spirit. 
We long to think about the things of the Spirit. By the Spirit, we're putting death to the deeds of the body. And even when it's taking us into, into sufferings, that's what he says there at the end of verse 17, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Even when we're taken into sufferings, we're not taken into despair. We're not taken into hopelessness. We're not you know, led to being overwhelmed. We actually know God is growing us. He is sanctifying us, transforming us into the marvelous image of his son. The glorious truth of this passage is that as we have believed the gospel, as we have confessed Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, as we have embraced the grace of God, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. The Spirit of God is at work within us, preserving us and protecting us and transforming us. And even in those moments of despair and when our weakness is exposed, we are even in those moments comforted because the Spirit of God is at work with us and for us. And the Spirit is even preserving us and interceding for us before the Father. So I would say to every one of us when we are walking through our spiritual challenges, strength Spiritual comfort comes when we get our attention off of ourself and focus it on God and believe upon his word and walk in faith, letting him move and direct within us so that ultimately we would see the riches of his glory and put not our hope in our own strength and our own efforts, but we put our hope in the power of the Spirit of God who is at work within us. And when we come back next week, we're going to see just the marvelous ending point for where this all leads to in verses 28 through 29, for God marvelously working all things together for our good. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you for the comfort we receive from your scriptures that you lead us into all good things and even as we're led in our spiritual life and we're uncertain of what's around the corner and we are overwhelmed by the various burdens and difficulties of life it's in those moments that we are comforted by what your scriptures say that you have chosen your people and set an eternal love upon them and that you have preserved and protected them and given them to the Son. And we are guarded by the Lord Jesus Christ who even presently advocates on our behalf. And we are protected and interceded for by the Spirit who is at work within us, directing our thoughts and directing our hearts and directing our actions so that we are walking in newness of life. Not in the old practice and the slavery to sin, but now walking in such newness and so that our comfort then comes in your marvelous work. And so when we do grow weary, may we fix our eyes upon you and give you all praise for all you're doing. So we are thankful that in our weakness, your power is perfected and your grace is demonstrated richly. And we are comforted for there have been many seasons where our hearts are overwhelmed with the fruits of righteousness and we are comforted by that and say, may we move from season to season, ever increasing in the demonstration of righteousness, because as evident, your spirit is ruling within us.
Thank you for these truths. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.